Well, today we are uh, opening that big book in the Bible. It's at the center of the Bible called the Psalms. Almost right at the middle. Sometimes you hit Job. But uh, there it is, right in the middle of the Psalms. And, uh, you know, I've been excited for this series since summer. I've been thinking about this. And, and as you can see, we have Psalm 1 here uh, displayed on the altar. Uh, with, and right beside it, you'll notice the artwork. Uh, Chris Bowers created a 5 by 7 uh, watercolor. Uh, and so we've uh, scanned it, enlarged it, printed it there uh, to go with Psalm 1. And you also see it on the front of your uh, program this morning. And then you look down the sides on the worship center, you'll also see several other psalms that have been beautifully laid out and printed for you, and they're lit up. Uh, my, many thanks to Brenda Bowers, who did uh, all of the design work. Bruce Bowers did the frame construction. And I know Gama Silva was a big part of the installation as well. And wh why we did this is we're hoping that you, during this series, you're going to take some time, maybe on Sunday mornings or other times that you're here, to go up to these psalms that are printed and just read and linger and ponder and uh, let God speak to you through that. A couple days ago, I read some of the ancient prayers that people prayed to the Greek gods, like Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite. And you know, one of the things about these prayers I noticed is that they sounded a lot like prayers any of us would pray. Uh, like, you know, help me in my time of need. Let me be victorious. Make me prosperous and happy. But you know, the more I looked at them, the more I noticed that there was something missing in, so many, in these prayers. And that something missing was holiness. You see, the Greek gods, the Greeks didn't see that their gods were holy. They weren't righteous or, and moral and faithful. And the Greeks didn't believe that their gods cared if they were righteous and moral and faithful. But God, the creator of the universe, revealed to the people of Israel that he is holy. We sang about that today. Holy, holy, holy. Our God is righteous and moral and faithful. And you know, that changes the way we pray. We pray to a God who loves us, who wants the best for us, and we pray to a God who has laid out for us a path of holiness. Now, according to Psalm 1, there are two paths, and maybe that's kind of a simplification, uh, but, it, but it is good for teaching. And the path that we choose determines our destination. <coughs> In July 1982, <clears throat> I introduced Trish uh, to the Rocky Mountains. She had never been there before. We went to Estes Park and Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, our last night there, we ate at Nikki's Steakhouse in Estes. The very next day, that restaurant was washed away in a historic flood. Fortunately, we were already on our way to Vail to meet a friend. And then one day, Trish and I decided to hike one of the trails near Vail. And as I remember, there, there were some forks in the trail and divergent paths we could have taken. And really, we, didn't, we weren't quite sure where we were going. Um, we were just hoping to make sure we could get back, you know. 
And then in the distance, we saw our destination, a spectacular mountain waterfall, Booth Falls. Anybody been there to Booth Falls? You've seen it? I should, we should go again. And uh, uh, anyway, had we diverged to a different path, we would not have arrived at this destination. And that's kind of what Psalm 1 is, is pointing to, that there are two paths in life that can take us to different destinations. Now, most of the psalms in the Bible are prayers, or at least there are prayers that are part of it. Uh, but Psalm 1 is not a prayer. It's a wisdom psalm. It's a teaching psalm. It, it's like the front door to the psalms that says, let all uh, the wise enter herein. So let's open our Bibles to that front door now, shall we? To Psalm 1. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 536. And if you would like to start reading the Bible at home, maybe it's something you've never done before, but you don't have a Bible, well, let's change that today. Uh, after worship, make your way to the other side of the foyer. Uh, you'll see the Connection Center next to the uh, elevator and a, a display of Bibles, just free ones. You can just grab, take one, take it home. And uh, also... If you don't have one of Brian Russell's books on the Psalms, we do have some left. Uh, they're out at the table as you're heading on your way to the Connection Center. And uh, this book gives you five daily readings each week. Kind of breaks the Psalms down, explores them, explains them. I th they're very it's very helpful. Now, you might ask, who wrote the Psalms? The answer is, well, we don't really know. Now, no doubt some of them were written by King David in 1000 B.C., but the collection we have now was composed by many people over hundreds of years. Psalm 1 doesn't, doesn't give us any clues about who wrote it, but there are some clues about when it was written. Uh, scholars say that the style of Hebrew writing would suggest it was written centuries after King David. And some scholars speculate that uh, it may have been composed specifically uh, for the occasion when this, this collection of psalms was put together. So now let's look at verse 1. And the first word is, say it with me, blessed. How blessed is this person? You could also translate it happy. I like how the uh, New Living Translation says, oh, the joy. Now, but I want to say something. This isn't happy the way that we usually use the word happy. Because most of us would say, well, there's a lot of things I'm not happy about. We kind of live with that attitude a lot of the time. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm overworked, <laughs> stressed, you know, my, I, I, I'm tired, uh, I'm frustrated with my kids or my parents. I'm totally stressed out. Well, happiness in the Bible is not about feeling great about everything in your life. Okay? It's kind of like asking a couple, are you happy in your marriage? And they look at each other and go, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but sometimes, they, I mean, they know that sometimes they get frustrated with each other and they, you know, end up hurting each other's feelings and they don't always understand each other and they miscommunicate and sometimes they get snippy with each other and sometimes they give each other the silent treatment. But you know what? It's real, isn't it? It's real. And they can look back over the years and say, yeah, we're glad we're together. 
They've been blessed. And they are, even in the messinesses of life, they are happy. And I think that's the kind of blessedness and happiness that Psalm 1 is pointing to. One of the beautiful things about the Psalms uh, that we're going to discover in the coming weeks is that it that gives, expresses the full range of human emotions. You're going to hear anger, confusion, complaint, disappointment, regret, sorrow, even then those negative ones. It's all there. And yet, the composers of the Psalms know that deep down they have been blessed. There's a foundational layer of happiness and contentment and satisfaction that comes from knowing God and, and following God. Uh, verse 1 tells us what the blessed person does not do. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Brian Russell notes that, well, you include walking, standing, and sitting. That pretty much is all of life, right? That's your whole life, at least when you're, while you're awake. So here's what we can say. Let me, let me put this on the screen. The blessed life of lasting happiness refuses to ignore God's will, disobey God's word, or mock God's way. Let's say it together, shall we? The blessed life of lasting happiness refuses to ignore God's will, disobey God's word, or mock God's ways. Now, the gospel of Jesus is good news. And, and when we read the Old Testament, we read it with New Testament eyes, right? That's, that's part of a way we understand the Bible as Christians. And, and, and every yes has a no. Did you realize that? Every time you say yes to something, it means also saying no to something else. It's like the high school athlete who, who signs on to, to play for the, their college team that they choose. And at least for that year, their yes to that team means a no to all the other teams. And so if you say yes to God's path, it means we've got to say no to a lot of others that don't measure up. I'm not saying God's path is just one thing that, you know, everybody has to follow this, make the exact same choices, but, but there's a unity to God's path. There's a consistency to it. So verse 1 gives us the no, and verse 2 gives us the yes. But, and we could insert from verse 1, blessed are those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, the Hebrew word for law here is the word Torah. Have you heard of that word before? Torah. It means instruction. Um, it can refer to the laws of Moses. It can refer to the first five books of the, of the Bible. But it can also refer to all of Scripture. And my opinion is that's what Psalm 1 is referring to, is, is all of Scripture. Uh, and as Christians, when we, when we read this word law in Psalm 1, I, I think it's fair for us to include the New Testament as well. And, and the, the person on the path to the blessed life of lasting happiness delights in Scripture, delights in God's Word. That, that word delight, that's, that's a cool word, isn't it? I mean, it's not being forced. 
It's, it's just something that you do that brings joy in your life. Um, it, it points to something you take pleasure in, something that you desire. And, and you find joy when God, you're reading, and God sort of opens it up to you, and you go, oh, yeah. This is what it means, and this is, what, this is how I can start to live into that. So if delight is their attitude, then meditation is their habit. They meditate on God's Word. When? Day and night. It's a lot, isn't it? Now the Hebrew word for meditate, I learned, has a vocal element to it. The ancient Hebrews, apparently when they meditated on God's Word, they, they didn't always or even usually do it silently. Uh, they kind of muttered and mumbled and chewed their way through the Scriptures. Uh, meditation uh, seems to have this oral quality about it. So if you were going through Psalm 1 like you see here, uh, you, could, you could meditate on it that way even without opening your lips. You could just kind of, every time you kind of come to a key word, you could go, hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it would be a way of kind of vocally participating in what you're reading. Uh, the other day I experimented with a way to read more meditatively Psalm 1. And so what I did is I, I read the first verse. And I confess to you that it didn't really stick very well. But anyway, so I started again with verse 1 and I read verses 1 and 2. And they started over again with verse 1 and read verses 1, 2, and 3. And I kept doing that, that cycle, until the sixth time I read verses 1 through 6. And I thought, yeah, it, that turned out to me a really a great way to, to get into it. And I, every time I read it, I was reading it out loud. Uh, here's another possibility that I've tried. If you're using Russell's book, you know it starts with a, a, a portion of, script, of the, the psalm, and then he gives about a page worth of his exploration and explanation into that. Um, so what I've done is that I have read that psalm portion out loud and then read Russell's uh, stuff silently, and then I go back to that psalm portion. And I read it out loud again. And that, let me tell you, that second time, reading it out loud, it just really comes to me so much better. Um, and I believe if you try that, you're going to find it's very valuable. Uh, you know, there, there's something about, there's something powerful about hearing the words of Scripture come out of your mouth repeatedly. Um, a singer learning a new song may practice it dozens of times. Did you know that? Practice it dozens of times until finally it finds its home in them. And you know, the Psalms, they're songs, they're lyrics. We don't have the tunes anymore, but, but they're lyrics, and by singing or speaking them repeatedly, they come to find their home inside us. So let's go back to what we said before, and this time I'm going to add a second line. Uh, will you say it with me? The blessed life of lasting happiness refuses to ignore God's will, disobey God's word, or mock God's ways. Instead, we delight in God's will, meditate on God's word, and follow God's ways. 
Now, verse 3 introduces a simile. You know, this is like, okay? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. You know, I like how Chris Bowers' painting captures this. You see a, a girl or a young woman sitting under a, a fruit tree uh, next to a stream of water, playing her guitar, probably singing along. You know, our word psalm, with the, starting with the P, uh, our word psalm comes from the Greek word psalmos, which means a song, a song sung accompanied by string instrument. And so I thought this, this image really fits for us. Now, so a green fruit-bearing tree, I think also is the image of a blessed life of lasting happiness. But let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there are not going to be suffering and hardship. Uh, where did the psalmist get this image of a tree planted by streams of water? Eugene Peterson suggests that it came from the two generations where the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. Um, Babylon was a city that became a great empire in the 6th and 7th centuries B.C. Uh, the ruins of that city are in the country of Iraq now, about an hour from Baghdad. And the area is really flat uh, with the Euphrates River flowing through it. And the Babylonians then, they built a series of canals off of the river to uh, irrigate many square miles of their land. And it was on the banks of these streams that another psalmist wrote a mournful, bitter song about how hard it is to sing the songs of the Lord in this strange land. So here they are, hundreds of miles from home, their beloved Jerusalem, uh, their, their temple lies in ruins, many of their loved ones have been killed, and now they're slaves of the Babylonians. By the way, that mournful, bitter song is in our Bible. It's Psalm 137. And yet, as Peterson notes, they did eventually sing the songs of the Lord in Babylon. It was they, the people of Israel, who became the tree transplanted by a stream. There they thrived even in exile. How did they do it? The same way that we do. Let's say it again as you see it on the screen. The blessed life of lasting happiness refuses to ignore God's will, disobey God's word, or mock God's ways. Instead, we delight in God's will, meditate on God's word, and follow God's ways. And then verse 3 ends with this little line, whatever they do prospers. Prospering means that they are learning how to thrive even in the hardest and sometimes harshest of situations. And they thrive because their roots go deep into the source of life. Verse 4, though, says, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. I thought, what a contrast 
from this green uh, fruit-bearing root tree rooted by a stream to, to chaff blowing in the wind. You know what chaff is? It's that, it's that thin layer covering a kernel of grain. Now, with corn, we call that chaff a husk. And someone who takes off the husk is a, well, yeah. But, but imagine, imagine a grain of, of wheat. And by treading on the grain or rubbing the grain, the chaff breaks off of the kernels. But then, you, then you've got a pile of, of, of grain and chaff mixed together. And so you take a scoopful and you toss it in the breeze. And the heavier grain comes down and the chaff, it's very light. There's very little substance. The chaff is blown away in the breeze. Psalm 1 offers chaff as a picture of those who ignore God's will, disobey God's word, mock God's ways. They do not prosper. Now remember, I said this is a wisdom psalm, and that means it's very similar to the Proverbs. And proverbs are not promises, right? A proverb is a generalization. A proverb is not a a promise from God, Um, but it is a teaching tool. Um, And Psalm 1 is not a promise that righteous people are always going to enjoy health and wealth and wicked people will not. Fortunately, in future psalms, we're going to hear plenty of complaints about why wicked people uh, so often have it good when the righteous people do not. What's up with that, God? We're going to hear about that. But because the wicked are like chaff blown in the, in the wind, we come to verse 5, uh, which tells us their ultimate outcome. Therefore, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And when you read that, imagine the courts of Israel where a judge upholds justice and the wicked are sentenced. Imagine the Israelites gathering in the temple courtyard to worship Yahweh their God while the wicked who do not repent are not to be found. Imagine the day when we all will stand before God and give an account of our lives. And then verse 6 summarizes the entire psalm. It says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, I don't know what, I know what some of you are going through, but a lot of you I don't, or I don't even know the half of it. You may suffer chronic illness or have a disabling injury, You may be unemployed and bankrupt. You may have lost your marriage or or lost a child. These are tragic realities. But there remains a blessing for those who trust and obey. And one day, God will sort it out. That's what we believe. That one day, God will make it right. That's what faith is about. 
So let's say, what's on, let's say the second half, the second sentence of what's on the screen, starting with instead. Will you join with me in that? Instead, we delight in God's will and meditate on God's word and follow God's ways. You know, Jesus was also a wisdom teacher. He talked about two paths, two roads, and where they lead. He said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. So which road are you on? Which road do you want to be on? Have you been trying to straddle two roads at the same time? How's that working for you? Will you say no to the road that those who ignore God's will and disobey God's word and mock God's ways follow? Will you say no to that path? And will you say yes to be the kind of person who says, I'm going to learn to delight in God's will and meditate on God's word, follow God's ways, because if you do, then you're going to begin to walk the path of a blessed life to lasting happiness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, sometimes you give us such clarity about our lives and where we're going and, and where we could be and where we have been. And, and Lord... Uh, it's been easy for us to be confused, and yet today you have laid for us a choice. Lord, and we want to take the choice of blessing, of life, of joy, satisfaction, contentment, happiness. Lord, we, we are eager for that. And we confess that so often we, it's been so easy to stray into other paths, and we have found, we have experienced to some degree that that kind of destruction, the destructive forces of it, And so, Lord, we pray that you will renew us by your word and your spirit, by the family of God, by your presence near to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.